Hey, this is Rachel, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org slash youngadults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. John chapter 7, starting in verse 14, ending in verse 24. This is the word of the Lord. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. And the Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we ask that you open our eyes and open our hearts, open our minds to receive all that you have in store for us today. Give us eyes to see the work of the Spirit. Give us ears to hear your word. And give us heart to accept all your teachings. Teach us your ways, because we need it. We don't need the world's ways. We don't need our ways, but we need your ways. For your ways are gentle and lowly. For your ways are light. Your yoke is light. You bear the brunt, that weight of this world. You bore our sin on your shoulders. You are meant to carry this weight. So may we give it on to you and may we sit here today and accept and love and be in awe of all that you are. So Father, do that work in us. May we not act in our own authority and act in our own will, but may we, like Jesus, ask for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What's up, guys? When I was uh, seven, I loved sports. Does anyone else love sports? Yeah, when I was seven, I loved sports. Actually, I've loved sports my whole life. But I remember as a kid, man, I dreamed at that age of like uh, being a professional athlete, like just like so many different sports. I would spend hours um, at my parents' house, you know, kicking the soccer ball against the, the wall of uh, the side of the house, just practicing. And, I, you know, I was like, okay, I got to practice my, my opposite foot so I could get better at that. I practiced dribbling. I would watch, I don't think they had YouTube back then. That was a lie. Um, I would, I, I don't know. I, I want to get better. Uh, I would spend hours shooting the basketball across the street at the hoop, uh, next door of our neighbors, you know, free throws, barely can make it to the three-point line, probably couldn't at that age, but I was trying. Um, ah, man, and I would spend hours with my dad on the golf range, you know, working on a swing, um, hitting golf balls, practicing, um, trying to hit different targets, you know. It, back then it was like poor man's top golf because it was, it's so expensive to go to top golf. But the golf range, that, it was like that. And my dad, he's a good dad. Um, 
And he wanted me to succeed like so badly. Uh, I can remember just so many memories of my dad just coaching me and, and wanting me to get better. Uh, and he happened to be a, a brilliant golfer and golf coach and pro. And so he took it upon himself to train me, not just in golf, but like in every sport. He was like that dad at the, the games, you know, on the sidelines with the big video camera running down, you know, <laughs> sideline, keep going, Caleb, yelling at the refs and the coaches and everyone. Uh, that was my dad. And he took it upon himself to teach me golf. We'd be out on the range doing some different drills, uh, working on my swing. And he honestly, he wanted me to be the best like I could be. Um, and, but because he was like my dad and he was a pro, and I was like, well, like seven, uh, we had a different view on golf. <laughs> Very different view on golf. I always just wanted to like hit it as hard as I could when I got out there. It didn't matter what club I had. It didn't matter. I just was like, hole one, hole one, every time, you know. Um, but my dad, he would, like, he would like bring the weirdest training materials you know, like, I, I didn't even understand them, you know? Like, there was this one that you made me stand on, like, had to balance while I was swinging, and it was like, what the heck am I ever going to need this for, you know? <laughs> and he would make me, like, stand, um, uh, uh, different grips, like, you know, when you hold a golf club, most people hold it like this, but he made me do this weird interlocking thing, and I, like, totally threw off my golf game, and I hated it for months, you know, and, uh, or, like, uh, he would, like, maybe hold a, a, a club to my chest like this, and pretend like I was hitting a golf ball, and I was like, what the heck is, like, I'm not even hitting the golf ball, you know, the club's right here, um, uh, there were so many things, you know, that he would like, he, another one was like, I'd be like halfway through the swing and he'd make me hold it here for like five seconds, you know, and then follow through. And it totally messed up my thoughts on how to hit the golf ball. It's like, I never understood any of his methods. And, and frankly, they made me feel awkward. And the methods that he was, he thought was going to work. I was like, these don't work. You know, these don't work. Some of you golfers are like, amen, amen. <laughs> He's a pro. Anyways, um, just kidding, Dad, if you're here. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. This is not me. So anyways, one day, one day, one day. I love my dad. I really do. Um, I, he's a great dad. He really is. Um, and he still is a pro. Yeah. <laughs> We're about to get to that. He already knows the message, too. Um, so one day I showed up. And uh, I was just, you know, doing my routine, whacking away. Psh, as hard as I could, and I could just kind of hear him coming behind me, you know, that feeling, and uh, I was like, oh, man, here's my father to ruin my day, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and sure enough, you know, I'm just having fun, playing golf the way I want to, my methods, and my dad comes, he's like, okay, stop, 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 you know, and, uh, and he's like, okay, let's work on your stance, you know, and he's like, okay, I want you to put the ball like way back in your stance. Like normally the ball goes right in the middle, okay? But he's like, I want to put the ball like way back here. And, um, uh, and, and I'm like, dad, like I'm going to completely miss the ball. Like you must not watch very much golf. No one puts the golf ball in the back of their stance. You know what I'm saying? Like what are you talking about? And he's like, no, no, listen, it's going to help you in this one situation when you're on the course one day when you're older. And I promise you're going to thank me. Just trust me. And so, uh, of course, I'm like, whatever, Dad. And so, you know, with my weird grip and all these weird rotational things I've been learning, I put the golf ball in the back of my stance. And, and of course, I swing and I just totally miss the golf ball. Like don't even make contact. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like, what the heck, Dad? This is, what, this is not going to work. And then he's like, Caleb, I promise it's going to work. Trust the process, you know. And so he's like, let me show you. And he like steps up, puts the golf ball in the back of his stance. And he's like, 
And I always hated the sound that the golf ball made when he hit it because it always sounded way too pretty, you know, compared to I hate that sound still to this day when I hear it. When one of my friends hit the golf ball that way, I'm like, that's disgusting. Because <laughs> I could never make that sound, you know. So I'm like, ah. You know, so, so he's like, okay, see, you saw that? And I was like, yeah, whatever. So I try again, you know, and I like, I make contact with the golf ball, but man, just like pff, dribbles like two feet, you know? And then whiff again, whiff again, whiff again, whiff again. And I'm just like so angry, you know what I mean? Like I'm so mad. And, and, and so there's like, as a seven-year-old, there's only so many times you can miss the golf ball and not cry. You know what I'm saying? And so like, I'm close to that point of emotional trauma, okay? Just kidding. <laughs> That's not true. But I'm like about to cry, you know? And of course, the problem isn't me. It's my coach, okay? <laughs> and <laughs> whatever he's telling me is the problem. It's not working. See, when he's around like fixing my golf swing, it's terrible. When he's not around, I'm like a child prodigy. But when he shows up and makes adjustments, everything falls apart. So I just remember seven-year-old Caleb turning to my dad and saying, Dad, this is not working. Just like, leave me alone. And, and my dad being kind and, you know, patient and loving father, he says, it's working. Just trust me. Like, it's going to help you in the future. And I say, it's never going to work. Like, every time you make adjustments to my swing, it makes my game worse, okay? And my dad says, no, no, you're just not teachable. And I was like, you're just not a good coach. And that was the last lesson I ever got from my dad in golf. I, uh, <laughs> what was I supposed to say here? Oh. Uh, <laughs> I remember feeling like, uh, okay, yeah, that's true. Sorry. I just remember feeling so angry and confused at my dad. You know what I mean? Like, I, learned, I literally, that was the last lesson I ever got from my dad in golf. Like, um, to this day, he still coaches golf, as you heard. And I still have never taken a lesson from him. That was the last time. I was so angry. I was so confused. I just, I wanted to believe my dad knew what he was doing. But his methods were just too hard for me to understand and, and to trust. His ideas were just too far from my experience. And, and honestly, I really believe this is a lot of times how I can feel in my relationship with my Heavenly Father. I want to trust him fully. I want to believe that all his ways and his methods are for my good, even if they don't make sense in the moment. But sometimes I find myself more angry and confused with God than believing and trusting in him. And I know, like, literally, we read it two weeks ago, the Bible says, like, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. They're not our ways. And then I, but I, I literally, and I, believe, I want to believe that, but I'm thinking, that, like, why, God? Like, why have you given me these thoughts? Why have you allowed me to go certain ways that maybe aren't yours? if that's actually true. And so honestly, as we jump into this passage, as we go back into John, I think you'll find some um, similarities to this experience that's happening with some of the people in Jesus. And so you can flip with me back to John chapter 7, um, verse 14, where Caesar just read. It's on page 989 if you close your Bibles. And so it, it says this, the first few verses, 14 through 16. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but is his 
who sent me. Okay, here's a few really important things for us to know here in this passage. You have to know this to understand this. Number one, okay, the feast Jesus is going up to is the Feast of Booths. Israel had been celebrating this feast for hundreds and hundreds of years since the time of Moses. All of Israel would come from the surrounding like hometown regions, Galilee, you know, Caesarea Philippi, different areas. They would all come and travel. Most of Israel would come and travel to the, the capital city of Jerusalem. And they would spend about eight days feasting and fasting and celebrating God's provision that happened in the desert when God miraculously rescued Israel out of Egypt back in the book of Exodus. Okay, so that's what's happening here. That's what the feast is that's happening here. A lot of people have gathered, tons of, of, of people that um, are from the surrounding regions of Israel, okay? Now, number two, what's really important to understand this passage is that at this current moment, okay, in Jesus' time in this moment, um, the, the last few months, Jesus has become one of the most talk about, talked about people in Israel. And the jury was still out on whether he was a good or a bad guy. Like most of Israel has heard of Jesus and is talking about him and they're not sure yet how, what to think of him. Like think about some of like our major controversies, okay, today with like celebrities or political figures or even just like local pastors or friends or coworkers, okay? There's like so much debate and discussion and tension surrounding certain topics in culture. And we, we all have heard about it or talk about it, right? Like did you see who the next bachelor is? No, just kidding. Okay, I thought that would hit home. No, okay, just kidding. <laughs> I just looked up a quick news article on my phone, so uh, I don't even know what The Bachelor is. Just kidding, I do. <laughs> is there another Bachelor? I don't know. I thought that was going to hit more home. That joke didn't work. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. You don't even watch The Bachelor either. All right. So, like, think, is there, is there any? Okay, there you go. See, I did. I just looked up like two hours ago. I don't know who it is. <laughs> Get out of here. Okay, anyways, um, you're missing the point. Point number two is that think about, like, like, th like, seriously, think about the debates that are happening today, even in politics, right? Think about the debates that are happening today over people's lives, over their morality, over their decision-making, whether it's a celebrity or a politician. Like, there's so much debate amongst the whole country, right? And some people land on this side of the spectrum, some people land on this side of the spectrum, some people land right in the middle, right? Now, think about that times, like, eternity. Seriously, like, like, magnify that, multiply that times eternity. Jesus wasn't just some celebrity that maybe wasn't, was going to get cut from the next TV show. He wasn't some president dealing with COVID. He was the potential Messiah to these people. This was thousands of years of history colliding with one Jewish rabbi. I mean, we're talking about one of the most important decisions ever. Like, like if you were alive and you were hearing about this man, it, it wasn't like, ooh, if I get this wrong, like I might be canceled by a few of my friends. It was like, I might be against God for all of eternity if I get this one wrong. And I might like burn up in fire like my great-grandfather did when he like rebelled against God. Or like if he's not the savior and I am listening to him and he's a liar and he's manipulating me, then I'm against God anyway. So like I got to decide who is this Jesus guy. Think about the pressure and the debate of like, is he godly? Is he from God? He's the Messiah. Or no, he's a liar. Like there's been so many other people that they say they're the Messiah and they're not. And we follow them and it caused pain and problems. So that's really important. Number two, that we have to know what's happening here if we want to understand this passage of what all of Israel is experiencing at this feast. And then lastly, it's important to remember that what's happened in the last few chapters to create this controversy we're diving into. It started in John chapter 5 when, when Jesus healed the, the man paralyzed from birth at the pool of Bethesda. 
If you don't remember this, I, I just watched the scene from Chosen a couple days ago again, and it was so moving to see like the heart of Jesus come up to this guy who's been paralyzed for 38 years. You know, like 38 years, he's never been able to walk. And, and he, Jesus just doesn't know Jesus. Jesus comes in there, looks at him, says, hey, do you want to be healed? And they have this little discussion back and forth. He's like, oh, I don't know. Like, I want to be healed, but it's been 38 years, you know. And then Jesus says, be healed. Pick up your mat and walk. And instantly, man, miraculously, this guy's legs who have been completely unable to work for his whole life are now physically working. And he's walking. And he's like rejoicing. He picks up his mat and he walks. And you would think like, this is a good thing. So like, why is this controversial? Why is this the start of the controversy in John chapter 5? Well, Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. And the law of the Old Testament said you don't work on the Sabbath. So the healing was not necessarily a sin or against the law of the Old Testament. But at this time, um, in the last few hundred years, to protect anyone from potentially breaking the Old Testament laws and being separated from God, they created extra laws. Um, the, the religious leaders created extra laws, and one of them was do not pick up your mat on the Sabbath and walk with it because you might accidentally work too much, and if you work too much, you're breaking God's law, and then you're actually unclean before God. And so they literally added laws to protect people from being separated from God. It was, it was good motives. And one of those laws that they had added that wasn't originally in the Old Testament laws was, hey, don't even pick up your mat on the Sabbath and walk with it because it could be considered work potentially in God's eyes. And what did Jesus just say? Pick up your mat and walk. And who was there? Some of the religious leaders. And, and after that, Jesus does another healing and another healing, and then he says some more things that are more controversial, and then he says some other things about him being God, and like over and over again, he talks about him being the savior of the world in chapter six, and, and it's like, at this point, we see that this group of Jews was this group of, uh, of religious leaders and just people who lived in Jerusalem, who now are like, this Jesus guy, we've decided on what we think about him politically, religiously. He is actually a, a liar and a manipulator, and he deserves to die. And so from chapter five on, these guys have been seeking to kill Jesus, okay? Like, they actually believe that he's against God and they're for God. And so they're trying to find him to kill him. So are, are, we, are you with me on those three things? Number one, lots of people at this feast. Some, some know about Jesus, some don't. But some are this group of Jews that are trying to kill him. Number two, uh, lots of uncertainty about this guy. And then lastly, the last couple of months have been this heightened tension around Jesus' life. We good? Got it? Okay, cool. Okay, back to the story. Um... Jesus, being himself, who he is, he starts teaching about his father. Goes to the temple, starts talking about his father. And um, like me with my dad, like I could see him hit a golf ball perfectly and marvel at it, but then turn around and be like, you're a terrible coach. So was the same with these people. They were blown away by Jesus' teaching. They, they marveled at his knowledge and how did he know so much about the Father? How did he know so much about God? He hasn't even gone to like any rabbinical school. He, he, didn't, he didn't follow some of the modern methods of, of learning the Old Testament law and then teaching it that the other religious leaders would do. So how on earth is he able to teach so effectively about God if he didn't go to these schools that these other guys went to? They couldn't, they, couldn't, they were like, man, you, you, you know this, but how? Like it, it didn't con compute with them um, that he could know these things. And Jesus says, it's because my teaching is not mine, but it's him who sent me. Jesus is saying, I know so much about God because he's the one who's speaking to me on what to say. Jesus continues to say here in verse 17, 
if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Okay, look, in this moment, these, these Jews are saying, Jesus, you're a liar. Like, you are the one who's manipulating God's law. And Jesus responds here in, in 17 and 18. He says, look, you guys are coming with this presupposition that God is speaking to you. You believe you're hearing from God. If this was true, if you're actually hearing from God, then you would believe what I'm saying because I'm actually coming from God. Now, like, this is really important to step, step back and, and to, to see why there's so much controversy around Jesus because he's not just claiming to know God, but he's not even just claiming to be sent by God, but he's claiming to be God himself. Over and over again, he's self-proclaimed. He is the one that in the Old Testament they worshiped. And so when they're saying, like, you're a liar, Jesus is saying, if you actually believe in God the Father, you would know that he's sending his own son and that that's me. And that he, Jesus goes so far to say, like, in the Old Testament, the prophets would say, hey, God has spoken to me and I have a message for you people. Like, thus says the Lord, here's what God wants to communicate to you. But Jesus goes one step further. He doesn't say, this is what God wants to say to you. I don't just have a message for you. I, I'm not just a messenger. I am the message. Right? I'm not here just to deliver a message like some prophet. The message is about me. I am not only the carrier, but I am the good news of the message in and of itself. And no one had ever dared go that far when they were a prophet in the Old Testament. People that did that in the Old Testament were killed instantaneously. So these Jews are like, you can't say that. And Jesus is saying, no, no, look, if you really believe in God, you would know that I'm not just a messenger, but I am carrying, I am the message of good news for you. And then he says something here in 18, verse 18, that would make me mad or would hurt. And it does make these people mad. It would, it would hurt. He claims here in verse 18 that they listen to God, not for God's glory, but their own. And that therefore they're the ones who are liars and manipulators of God's law. Let me read it again. Verse 18. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. He's talking to them that they're the ones speaking about God for their own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him, he's talking about himself, is true. And in him there's no falsehood. He's saying, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to, 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 to get glory here. I'm trying to point to the Father. And you actually have studied the Old Testament for your own glory. And so they're like, well, these guys are like, whoa, 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 wait a second. You're calling me the liar. You're saying that I've studied my whole life the Old Testament. I've studied for God's glory, but actually I've been lying to myself and I'm actually studying for my own gain. It, it's kind of like, um, it's like me at 17 um, uh, in the locker room uh, at, a, at a basketball game. And I'm just sitting there and I'm praying and I'm like, God, Please help me dunk on someone tonight for your glory. Man, tonight, God, just make my, make my vertical go up 10 inches. And let me just jump over that guy and just like 360 it right on. And let it be a foul. And let it be a buzzer beater too, right, to win the game. And then, God, I will look to the sky and I'll give you glory. You know, it's like, it's like that's what he's saying here. You know what I mean? It's like me at like 21 driving down the street and like uh, seeing a billboard, right, for like a, a, like a, a lotto um, winning that's like $271 million. And I'm just like in my heart, I'm like, God, if you just let me have that, you know how much I'll give to people 
how much I would glorify you with giving away that. You know what I mean? It's like my motives are very mixed. You know, as funny as those examples are, I got to be really honest with you. My motives are really off sometimes in my relationship with God. I think my methods would be the best way for God to work on this planet. And so then my heart is revealed when Jesus shows up. Like, I truly am seeing that sometimes I like Caleb's glory sometimes more than God's glory. And Jesus is saying here, you like your own glory more than the Father's. And because I'm here, it's revealing that. And so he says, yes, I'm calling you out. And really, it's not even me, it's your actions in your heart. Look, he shows right here, he's about to give them an example of their hearts and their actions. Verse 19, has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? Some of the bystanders there, um, they chime in here now. Uh, they, haven't, they didn't really know about this controversy that's been happening over the last six months between Jesus and the Jews. They just kind of like, they, they, so they're like, they say this in verse 20, the crowd, see it's very important, John uses two different uh, audiences there. It was so confusing me for a while, but I, it, once I understood it was two different audiences, it made sense. The crowd is some bystanders who might not know about this debate between the Jews over the last six months, this group of Jews and Jesus. They're like, you have a demon, like who's seeking to kill you is what they say in verse 20. And what they're basically saying, that was a common term for like, you're paranoid. You're like this weird leader that's paranoid that everyone's out to get you, tear, take you down, you know? And so that was a common way of saying, you're just, you're, you're, you're scared of your reputation. And so they, they didn't even know what was happening in this discussion, but Jesus kind of just brings them right in. And he says this, 21, Jesus answered them, I did one work and you marvel at it. That's, he's referring back to the miracle um, in chapter five of the, uh, of the paralyzed man at Bethesda. That's what he's referring to. Jesus is saying, I did one work and you marveled at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that this is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. Listen here. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Okay. Let me slow down. Because I kind of got really muddy in these uh, f- few verses the last four weeks. So let me try to like just read this to you it, to keep it really simple, okay? I'm going to read this part because I got so, it was so muddy for like the last four weeks. And I'm like, what is really going on here? So I'm going to try to keep it really simple, okay? Jesus is comparing one of their works and one of his works to prove they're actually the ones misjudging and manipulating God and not truly trusting his God's methods and his ways. Okay, so he's using his example of the healing at Bethesda. Okay, and he says, you are mad at me for healing on the Sabbath. Okay, and he's about to use their examples. You have a law about circumcising a baby boy on the eighth day and if you don't, then he's unclean, okay? Like God had instituted a law that um, spiritually you would uh, be unclean if a baby boy was not circumcised on the eighth day, okay? So, so they literally had a law. On the eighth day of this boy's life, we have to go to the temple and circumcise him, okay? But what would happen if that baby was born eight days before the Sabbath day, okay? What would happen? There was laws about not traveling too far on the Sabbath, laws about different kinds of work on the Sabbath, so they had to pick which law they would break. Would they break the law of circumcision and not circumcise that baby on the eighth day, or would they break some of the Sabbath laws? And they believed, they interpreted the law saying, it was better for the infants 
spiritual relationship with God, that we would break some of the Sabbath laws so this baby would not be uh, broken in, in spiritual uncleanliness before God. Does that make sense so far? So Jesus is saying, you understand the law and you break some of it for other laws. Does that make sense? And Jesus says, I healed a man on the Sabbath, but I, I broke what you thought was a law on the Sabbath to follow dozens of other laws about God's heart of mercy. There was other laws. There was laws that were in the Old Testament where it said, if someone is going to die or something is going to die, and you had to break the Sabbath law of like distance to travel or do something that was considered work to save that person, which would you pick? Yeah, you would save the person. Any of us in our right mind would be like, if someone's going to die and it's like going to break this law, I'm like, I'm not supposed to, you know, go a mile on, on the Sabbath day, right? You're going to walk two miles to save that person, right? Yeah. Right, because why? Because Jesus quotes God. He says, um, because God desires mercy over sacrifice. So he's saying, look, 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 here, this is, that's why I got so, it gets so muddier, but it's so simple when you get it. Jesus is saying, you are mad at me because I broke one Sabbath law that you think was a law, but it really wasn't. It was an additional law for what actually is God's heart, the healing of this man. You're so mad that this guy was healed on the Sabbath day because you're mad about not really what I did, but that I, I have power you don't have. But you do the same thing all the time. You break different laws the way that it fits your schedule and your agenda, the way you want it to. So Jesus simply but profoundly saying, you actually don't truly desire God's will deep down. You desire to be the God of your own lives and use God as your tool of righteousness. You will follow him when it works for you, but when it doesn't and his methods don't add up to you, you become your own gods and reject the voice of the Father. Sounds kind of familiar to me as a kid with my dad when his methods worked for me, I liked them. But when they didn't, I pushed them away. And probably more sadly, isn't just a seven-year-old Caleb with his father problem, but it's a 20-year-old Caleb problem in this, that when God's methods make sense to me, like, I like him. Like, when his will, like, seems to be aligned with my will, you know what I mean? I'm like, amen, praise you, God. Thank you, you're worthy of praise because what I want is what you want. But then when they don't, I start to question God sometimes. My worship becomes a little bit more whiny. <laughs> and my attitude becomes a little bit more frustrated with God than free and unconditional loving of him and worship him. When I see God sometimes using someone else more than me, I'm not always like quick to jump up and be like, yeah, God, wow, praise you for doing amazing things that person's life. I'm like, why can't you use me that way? Like, why don't I have that relationship with you like that person does? I don't want that. Uh, another just close to home one in my heart right now that's like exposed this is like recently I moved back into my parents' house. Actually, it's not really recently anymore. It's been a minute. Um, and honestly, the first few months were hard when I moved back in. I lived out of the house for six, seven years, lots of roommates, different lifestyle. It was awesome. You know, we'd hang out, have fun, stay out later. Uh, I wasn't used to like family time anymore. And so when I moved back in the first few months, they were kind of awkward some moments, they were tough. Um, but then I, we adjusted and it kind of got really good for a few months. It seemed like we were on the same page. But honestly, the last few months, just being totally candid here, has been kind of hard for me again in us, in our relationship with my mom, my dad, my sister. And I can hear God pretty much almost every day. 
almost every day speaking to me, whispering his heart and his methods to me. Caleb, like, honor your father and mother. Walk in humility in your home. Sacrifice for your sister. Listen more than you speak. Love unconditionally. And I can hear my own heart going, no thanks, God. I think you got this method wrong. Mine's better here. Over the last few months, I've heard God so clearly saying, like, this is my method. Like, devote yourself to this level of sacrifice. Devote yourself to this and this and this because I promise you it's going to be good for you. And I'm like, no, that sounds terrible. I want to do it my own way. I don't want to believe that God's methods are good, are good for my good all the time. Honestly, I thought when I was thinking about this, I thought about Peter. Uh, after Jesus' resurrection um, from the dead, and they're on the beach, and you know, Peter was fishing, and Jesus was on the beach, and Peter jumps out of the boat. And if you remember the scene, the last time Peter and Jesus saw each other was pretty sad, right? Peter had pretty much just denied Jesus, like in the worst moment possible, right? After he said, I will follow you, Jesus, wherever we go to death, you know, and then he's like, Oh, I don't know the guy, you know, and he even curses Jesus. And now this is the first time they're kind of seeing each other again, and, and Jesus is like, you know, walking, like, just imagine walking on the beach, and just like, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, uh, Yeah, I love you, Jesus, you know? And Jesus is like, I know you love me, Peter, so, uh, you know, serve my people, feed my sheep, and Peter's like, okay, cool, man, and then Jesus is like, uh, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, uh, yeah, I love you, Jesus, you know, and Jesus is like, I know you do, like, like, care for my church, care for my people, and then Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yo, Jesus, bro, like, you know my heart, you see all things, like, you know I love you, you know, and Jesus is like, I know you love me, and I know you love me. Yo, listen, you're gonna follow me but the rest of your life's going to be pretty hard. There's going to be some hard stuff. Like you used to, you know, dress yourself, but someone else is going to dress you. And what I mean by that is that you're actually going to have a really suffering future and you're going to die probably on a cross like me. And Peter's like, okay. And then they're walking on the beach and he looks back and he's like, um, John over there, is he going to die too? And I think that's the way I see myself sometimes, you know? It's like, Jesus like, go live this life. Like, follow me. Like, it, it's not going to be easy, but I promise you're worth it. And I'm just like, are you telling anyone else this? You know? Like, is anyone else supposed to follow me this way? Because I don't want to do this. And I, I honestly, that's where my heart is. It's like, I'm always looking around at what God's saying to other people, and I just don't really want to listen to him all the time. But he's speaking to us. I want to be more like, like Job. I want to be more like Job. You know, Job, he, he had everything at his time. I mean, he had everything. He had land. He had, like, whatever you could want at that time, Job had it. Like, he was probably one of the most wealthy people, had more comforts than anyone else had, right? Like, he had the best life. And if you, you just listen to this. Listen to how Job, his life goes here in chapter, um, uh, I forget, chapter 2, I think, 1. There it is. Listen to this. Now, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job, and he said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While this servant was still speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them all, and I alone escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another servant that said, the Chaldeans formed three groups 
And they made a raid on the camels and they took them and struck down the servants watching over them with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people and they're all dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on, his, on the ground and worshiped God. He said, God, naked I came from my mother's room, and naked shall I return. God, you give and you take away. Blessed is your name, God. It's scary for me to even like say this. I don't really truly want to say it, but I want to be like Job. I want to be like Job where like I true, my heart is like whatever you bring my way, God, even if it's methods that I don't understand, even if it's things that I don't want, even things I'm like, how could this be in your plans? Like there's no way that you're doing this. I want to receive it from God and be like, God, you must be doing something I can't see here. And I want to worship God. I want to have a heart that worships him no matter what happens because the truth is I can get so tired of rejecting God over and over and over again, pretending like my methods are actually the right way. I want to have a heart like Job. Like, how can somebody respond with worship in the middle of that? Like, he, he, the reason why Job was able to respond this way is because he knew that God's methods, as hard as they were for him to grasp, were for his good and God's glory. You may be sitting here thinking like, Caleb, you don't really understand my life and my relationship with God. Like, it's just too confusing sometimes. It's too difficult sometimes. And like, I, I, as empathetically, as kindly as I can say, it's like, I agree. Like, I don't even understand everything God's doing in my own life. So how can I pretend to understand everything he's doing in your life? I don't know everything you've gone through. I don't know everything you're experiencing in your relationship with God. But what I do know is that God is truly a good God. His methods can be so hard to understand sometimes, but he's not playing games with us. He isn't trying to leave us stranded. Like, he's not far away. He's present with us in our difficulties. He's kind and he's merciful. And, and if we truly ask for his help, he will meet us in there. And he, he's already said in Romans 8 that he's given us his own son. So how can he not give us all things? And so no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're experiencing, his methods, his kindness is actually there for our good and his glory. And he will supply us with what we need to grow in godliness. You know, at the end of this discourse between Jesus and the Jews, Jesus says one last sentence in John chapter 7. Jesus says to them to finish off, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Jesus was and is the full display of God's heart. When his life contradicts ours, he isn't called to shift to become like us but we're invited to mold our lives like his. When something we're doing goes against him, it's not his judgment or his methods or his wisdom that's off. It's ours. And honestly, at the risk of being overly simply, so over, over simple here, one of my friends, Lydia, told me this a couple weeks ago or months ago, and it just kind of stuck with me. So I just thought I'd just, you know, a little prop always helps the mind. So this is Plato. I hate Plato. <laughs> Anyone hate Plato growing up? Just the smell. Gross. Some people loved it? Okay, cool. So, something that Lydia said to me is like, maybe something you've heard before, but it just truly stuck with me in my relationship with God, is that oftentimes I see 
God as his methods as like Plato in my hand. But the reality is, is that actually like my heart is meant to be like clay or like Plato in his hand. Like I try to use God to kind of manipulate him to like, oh God, I kind of need this in my life right now. Could you bend that way? Could you kind of do this to, to make my life better this way? My relation with this person, that. My prayers are sometimes more asking God to bend to my judgments and my methods rather than just being like, God, it's hard as to say, like, you will be done. My heart is yours. I don't even understand what tomorrow is going to bring. I can't even follow you perfectly today. But I know you're shaping my heart, and I know what you're saying to me is good. Help me receive it. Shape me into your image. I don't want to be like the people who rejected you, Jesus. I want to be, I want to be known as someone who follows you. God's methods are truly for our good and for his glory. His heart is perfect for us and we're invited to shape our hearts and our lives to be like his. Let's pray. God, it's so easy to sometimes talk about you, God, but it feels impossible to step out of this room and live the life that you've called us to, God. And so I thank you that you're so kind. You're so merciful. You forgive us over and over and over again. And even when I'm misguided and I try to manipulate you, you, you're so quick to forgive me. You're quick to reveal where my heart's off. And then even when I continue to reject you and kind of like only give you half of my heart, half of my life, you continue to gently bring me towards you, God. And God, I just pray right now for this room, for these believers in this room, God. Man, there's some things going on in our lives that make it really hard to trust you. Your methods sometimes in our lives of our circumstances and the way you work through your word and by your spirit and through other people, God, is sometimes so hard to understand and we actually really truly probably can't understand it all the time. So I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room, God, that they would would trust in you even when it doesn't make sense. And God, I pray, please, that we would ask you to help us to trust in you, even when it doesn't make sense. That, God, we wouldn't be children that look up at you and say, you're the problem. But that we would be children that invite you into the problem and say, God, we we need you right now. You feel far away. And we'd be sons and daughters that worship you, God. No matter what, our hearts would be so soft to your voice that we would have complete trust in you, God, by your power. And God, I just pray right now for, honestly, the surrounding area here, God, Central Florida, this city, this state, even this country, God. We're in a really weird time where it feels like not very many people, they, they trust your methods feels like actually pretty much most people don't trust your methods. So God, I pray, please, God, that no matter what happens in this country, we would be people that trust you, no matter what's going on around us. And God, I do pray, please, by the power of the cross, by the power of the resurrection of your son, Jesus, that, God, you would continue to soften hearts, God, 
in local uh, spaces here, God, and in, in, in national spaces, God, in leadership, God, in, in small places that we don't know about and in large places, God, in people that we talk about all the time. I pray that, God, you continue to soften hearts to your voice and to your leadership and to your love and that we would not be people that try to, to manipulate you, God, but we'd be people that trust in you. And, God, I pray for the, this world. I just pray for God around the world right now, different believers, God, that are right now questioning if you are actually there with them. God, I pray you'd embolden them and strengthen them by your spirit. You would show them that they're not far from you and you're not far from them and that they're not wasting their life. They're not wasting their life. That their life is actually being used for your glory and not for their own. Thank you, Jesus, so much. We worship you and we glorify your name. Amen. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use the message you just received and direct your heart completely towards him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.